Ryan Neal has been a godsend to the Seahawks' defense filling in for Jamal Adams the past couple of seasons, but can Seattle afford to re-sign him as a restricted free agent? We'll be diving in on our latest Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Thursday episode by my co-host Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to be answering your listener mailbag questions. It's the off season. So we kind of plug in the mailbag when we can fit it in and a chance to answer your questions on today's show, a close look at some free agent guards that may pique interest for the Seahawks and much more. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. In terms of unsung heroes from Seattle's surprising playoff season, Ryan Neal might be near the top, if not at the very top of the list, replacing Jamal Adams for the final 16 games of the season. Neal actually received all pro votes after putting up 66 tackles, an interception, a sack, and seven passes defense this year and was one of the best safeties in the NFL. In fact, Pro Football Focus graded him out as the number one qualified safety in the NFL this year in terms of overall grade. Neil is now going to be a restricted free agent. And this is a little bit different, Dallas, than your unrestricted free agents who are going to be available to hit the market on March 15th. The Seahawks have some flexibility to be able to keep Ryan Neal here and maybe prevent other teams from making an offer to sign him at the same time. There's also another big issue. The Seahawks have $36 million locked up at the safety position between Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs going into 2023. And it might be kind of expensive to bring Ryan Neal back on a tender that's actually going to prevent other teams from signing him. Do you view this as something that might be a little bit too much of a luxury for the Seahawks to be able to keep him right now? No. Ryan Neal is a prime commodity for the Seahawks defense. He's truly come under his own for Pete Carroll. Being in this defense, he has the length needed as a defensive back. 6'3", he has the strength. He does everything that they need him to do. He provides coverage, versatility. He even provided, like you said, a sack and four tackles for loss. So you need him around the box, he can provide that. You need him in coverage, he can do that. He does everything that you need. And yes, this, it's a lot of money to the safety position, and that's something that goes against what analytics tells you to do. But for this Seahawks defense, especially with the types of defenses they run, a lot of too high shell coverages, you need great safeties back there. And Jamal Adams, although he's when he's played, he's been a good safety for, for the Seahawks. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. And that's a huge risk to run for the next season, especially if you're wanting to roll out more rookies this next season. You need some veterans on the back end. And Ryan Neal provides that. Yeah, and I think the thing that's notable that you mentioned there we don't know what Jamal Adams is going to look like when he is back on the field and when that even is going to be. Pete Carroll makes it sound like it might be 
deep into training camp before we see Jamal Adams back out on the field. I mean, he is coming back from a torn quad tendon. That is not an easy injury to recover from. It can take a full calendar year to get back on the field, and you still might not be your former self. And I've seen this in NBA players. Victor Aladipo is one that comes to mind that had the same injury. He has never been the same player since he came back. And that's not saying that some players have not come back from this successfully and returned to form, because there certainly have been some cases where that's been evident on the field. But there have been plenty of players that have had this injury in recent history in multiple sports that have not been able to rediscover their previous form that they had before the injury. So that is still a big question mark. And I think when you look at the way Seattle plays defense, they seem to be at their best when they have three safeties on the field and they're able to play those nickel and dime coverages. We have not gotten to see Ryan Neal, Quandre Diggs, and Jamal Adams play very much together because one of them gets hurt. Most of the time it's been Adams seemingly every time. So you get a handful of snaps to see these guys in the field together and they haven't really been able to see the full potential anywhere close to the full potential with those guys playing. So I would tend to lean towards agreeing with you that this feels like a move that has to be made by the Seahawks. Now, they could risk losing him. They could give him what is called an original round tender or right of first refusal, and they can match an offer. But if they allow another team to sign him, let's say that the Jaguars or somebody else comes in and gives him a $7 million deal, the Seahawks can match that, but they're not going to. They're not going to be able to do that, and you would get no compensation back because he was an undrafted free agent. So that would be an incredibly risky situation. You could give a second-round tender. That seems like the sweet spot to me, but that's $4.3 million for a player that might not be a starter for you. That's an expensive price tag, although with the injuries they've had at safety – the fact that Diggs is getting to be a little older player, Adams is coming off the severe injury he is, you want to have a really good insurance policy, which obviously Ryan Neal has been that. But it does create some questions for John Schneider because they don't have a ton of financial flexibility, especially after just now re-signing Geno Smith. So that really creates a conundrum for him because this is a very good player and they love to keep their undrafted guys that have earned a spot on the team the way that Ryan Neal has. He's popular in the locker room. He's popular with media. They don't want to lose him, but $4.3 million for a second-round tender, which would all but eliminate the possibility of another team trying to get him. They're not going to give up a second-round pick to give an offer sheet to him. But if you're going to pay that price, that just cuts into your ability further to be able to upgrade other positions of the roster that might need a starter going into 2023. It's it's a tough situation for John Schneider. It's it's kind of like you do you keep him like you said. Do you keep him and risk spending so much money on a position that he might not even start? But I would like to remind everyone in Seattle, he, Neil did miss time this past season. So Seattle fans were able to see what was out there and what happened to the defense when he wasn't there. When you were starting Josh Jones, starting um the Raiders safety, Jonathan Abrams, when he came to the Seahawks late in the season, those were games where you could, it was a very evident that there were struggles on the back end, coverage, communication errors. It was, it was happening a lot more when Ryan Neal was out. It's just a safety net. He was a safety net for the defense. Being able to have him as your third safety, him coming on the field, you don't have to worry. Even though he is the backup, you're not worried about him messing up assignments routinely. He's over there and he plays quality football. 
And that's what you need from that backup safety position. And as you said, the Seahawks were at their best when they're playing big nickel, big dime, three safeties on the field. The coverage versatility in that is so great. And you want to give Clint Hurt that ability. And Ryan Neal does give them that ability. So there's, I don't think there's a reason for the Seahawks to let them let him go. It is expensive, but you have to keep him. Yeah, I'm leaning that direction too. But I would not be surprised. I'll say this. That's my opinion. I would not be surprised if John Schneider bites the bullet here and says, you know what, I, I don't think that I can do this. Maybe they try to go the original round tender, but you're talking about a guy that got 12 votes for all pro this past season. If a team can get him without having to give up draft compensation, the chances of another team flying in and signing him increase dramatically. If you have a second round pick as compensation with a second round tender, which is $2 million more expensive, your chances of that happening dwindled to near none, at least in my opinion. I just don't know that John Schneider is going to be able to do that or going to want to do that with Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs and their contracts, how much money they've got invested in safety. At the same time, he has been invaluable in the locker room, on the field, and he gives you so much versatility with all the different things that he can do on the football field. He's been good on special teams in the past. So, as you mentioned, this is just a difficult situation. And Josh Snyder's going to have to make a decision here in the next few days because if the Seahawks do not place a tender on Ryan Neal by 1 o'clock Pacific time on March 15th, the first day of free agency, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. And then he can just negotiate with any team and you all but ensured that he's going to most likely be playing for somebody else in 2023. So they're going to have to make that decision here in the next few days and try to hammer something out. If they plan to bring him back, it might be a situation where they simply can't fit him in to their salary cap, and that would be unfortunate. I'm with you. I think they need to bring him back just simply because of Jamal Adams' injury history. You need that insurance policy. But I'd have the finals happen. Next, we're going to tackle your questions in our weekly Locked On Seahawks mailbag. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We are past the midway point in the NBA season. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder. For example, you can bet on Miles Turner to score 20 points tonight for the Pacers at plus 115. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss out on the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined on today's episode by my co-host, Dallas Cooper, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've been moving our mailbag around each week. It varies depending on what the schedule looks like. There's a lot going on this time of year with free agency, new contracts, things of that nature. But it is time to tackle your questions in our Thursday mailbag. And first one here is going to be for Dallas, and it's coming our way from Aaron Steele on Twitter. What is an underrated position that Seattle needs to address in the draft 
that fans aren't necessarily worrying about. So this is particularly about the draft. What is the position that you have highlighted that maybe fans aren't thinking about as a need that is a bigger need for them, at least in the long term? I'm going to need the 12s to stay with me here. I might sound a little crazy. Although tight end was a position where we saw a lot of great things this past season, we saw Shane Waldron use the tight ends in a ways that we haven't seen pretty much ever in recent history. And Noah Fant, he had a career low in receiving yards, but as Corbin has been highlighting, he's been a lot better as a blocker since coming to the Seahawks. Kobe Parkinson. Then you have Will Disley. But all three of those tight ends, something is old, is going to be at risk this next season. Noah Fant and Kobe Parkinson, after this next season, are both going to be unrestricted free agents. Will Disley has durability concerns, and past couple of years he's had major injuries. So we really don't know if he's truly going to be able to last through a whole season. Tight end is a position where if they get a in the draft, a, I would not be surprised a top two round pick. Because Gino, as we've seen, Gino is willing to throw into those tight windows. He was he had one of the highest, I think, turnover they they labeled turnover worthy throws. A lot of those throws, though. I don't feel like we're truly turnover worthy. They were just willing to throw into the tight window. And if you had a better guy over the middle that could catch those contested catches and excel at that, it would unlock Geno's ability even more. The part of the offense that we've all been climbing for is to get to the middle of the field, the middle of the field. How much times were we clamoring for that this past season? And a tight end would be a primary security blanket for Geno Smith. Getting an elite tight end would unlock so much things for this offense, especially if they're also a great run blocker. That is definitely a position Rob and I have talked about that maybe Seattle drafts earlier than people think they're going to because, as you mentioned, you've got those free agents coming up. And Will Disley could be a cut candidate after this next year, too, depending on his injury situation. He's got a big cap hit that last year of his three-year deal he signed last offseason. So there are question marks at that position, and this is a very good tight end class, one of the better ones that I've seen in the last 10 years. Question for me coming from Robert Boas tweets, have the rookies from 2022 advanced enough in their skills to allow for more rookies to start in 2023 without jeopardizing wins? So I'm going to be honest, Robert, without seeing where the second year players are at until we get in the field in the spring and in training camp, this isn't necessarily a question that I can answer, but I will say this, I expect that that group that was so good last year, headlined by Tariq Woolen, Ken Walker III, the two rookie tackles, Kobe Bryant, Dariq Young coming on late in the year. I'm expecting that that group as a whole is going to make a big jump this season, especially the tackles. I think in year two, you're going to really see a jump from Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. I think they're both going to come into camp much stronger after having another NFL offseason. And that's going to bode well for Ken Walker, the third out of the backfield. Tariq Wollen barely knew what he was doing at times at the cornerback position. Look at the year he had. So I'm envisioning as he continues to become more comfortable at that position, that he's only going to get better with the freakish athletic tools he's got. Kobe Bryant's going to be going to year two in the slot. I expect a big jump from him there. Boy, Mafe's another player that could have a big jump that did some nice things last year. He needs to improve as a pass rusher, but I think he's going to get that done. So I am optimistic that group 
group is going to take a big step forward, and that would allow you to sprinkle in a bunch of rookies potentially for this 2023 class, especially those high picks that you have to contribute, and you still have plenty of veterans, including your quarterback, Geno Smith, that you just re-signed. So they should be in good shape. Dallas question here coming from Zane Hoffman tweeting quarterback rankings for the top four prospects based on likelihood of the Seahawks drafting them. So we know the big four. How would you rank them based on the likelihood of the Seahawks drafting them and why? Strictly based off of the likelihood of drafting them. Number one has to be Anthony Richardson. For me, the reason is John Schneider in past drafts has been linked to quarterbacks with all the tools and all the upside. We've seen it with Josh Allen, the visits with Josh Allen, the visits with Patrick Mahomes. John Schneider has always done due diligence on quarterbacks like this. And I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. I I would argue that the athleticism isn't necessarily an upside for Richardson. It could actually be a floor. Worst comes to worst, I think he could have a season like Justin Fields this past year where you primarily use him as a QB runner. And then for second, my ranking would be Will Levis. I think Will Levis is another guy with a lot of tools, a lot of upside. And I think John Schneider would be really keen on looking at if maybe he would sit him under Geno Smith for the next couple of years. And then third in my likelihood would be Bryce Young. Bryce Young would be one. And the reason I have him above CJ Shroud is if the Seahawks were to trade up to try and get a quarterback, and although this is very unlikely to happen, Bryce Young would be the dude for it to do so. You, I don't think the Seahawks would trade up for C.J. Shroud. He reminds me actually a lot of Geno Smith being a, a dominant pocket passer and limited in ability of escapability, yet they've been good in structure. So I think that's why Shroud, even he's kind of a Geno replica to me. So that's why I think he's the last on the list. That's an interesting take because a lot of people have been speculating the size of Bryce Young might actually make the Seahawks a little bit hesitant because of what happened with Russell Wilson. I personally do not subscribe to that. If he's got the tools, they will look at quarterbacks, obviously. I'm sure they've done their due diligence on all four of these guys. And and maybe having a guy like Stroud that has a lot of Geno Smith's tools would make sense because it'd be a good guy to have develop behind him. So I think you can make arguments for all four of these guys. And everybody's going to have a slightly different list. So next question here from Daniel Humberg tweets, I asked this myself when I read the reaction of Viking fans to the news they released, Eric Kendricks, and remembered my own reaction to the news of Bobby Wagner's release last year. Why are linebackers so often fan favorites is it the position of the kind of personalities i can't figure it out so i don't even know if it's necessarily that i will say this i think linebackers even though it is a position that is of diminishing value for nfl teams in today's nfl at least for most teams it's still a glory position because these guys rack up tons of tackles i mean bobby wagner 11 straight years now that he's had over 100 tackles. Kendricks has had seven straight with 100 tackles. These guys that make all the plays and get sacks and create turnovers, it is a position of glory. When you get those kind of stats, it's like on offense, the skill guys are going to be the ones that get the attention because they're the ones making the catches. They're the ones that are making the touchdowns. Bobby Wagner in the middle, Eric Kendricks in the middle, they're the ones that are flying all over the field making plays. And I do think personality fits in for Bobby Wagner too. He's such a likable guy. And that's why the fans embrace him along with the fact that he's a damn good football player, a future Hall of Famer as well. So I don't know that this holds true for every team, but it is a position that 
racks up a lot of stats, gets chances to make impact plays. And historically, linebacker has been a popular position. Your Dick Butkus is, your Ray Lewis is of the world. There's tons of great linebackers. Brian Erlacher, uh, Zach Thomas, just rattling off a bunch of names. They're big superstars because they racked up a lot of stats. And so I think that that has a big reason why guys like Bobby Wagner are still incredibly popular. Fred Warner in San Francisco, they love him down there because he's a great football player and he makes a ton of plays for the 49ers defense. Next question here for Dallas coming from Steven tweeting, what is your ideal draft scenario with pick number five? Pick there or trade it for a late first plus a second or third rounder if possible. What What is your strategy, your ideal situation for the Seahawks come late April with that top five pick? I think there's going to be some nuance to this. It depends on the number five pick. If there's certain people that are available and guys like will anderson if will anderson's available if guys like i don't know if he's still on the seahawks draft draft board but a guy like jalen carter if he's available and the seahawks are willing to take that risk to draft him at number five i think you get him you get that top tier talent on the defensive line and that's what Pete carroll was clamoring for at the end of the season but if none of them guys are available i could see them trading back and that late first plus a second and a third is possible. Although I would be interested to see if John Schneider might even kick back on just going later in the first. And instead of picking up the second and third, I would wonder if he's interested in picking up a 2024 first. Maybe that's the draft they go for the next quarterback after Geno Smith. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, hypo, uh, hypo, I can't just talk today. That's a really interesting hypothetical to consider because there are some really good quarterbacks in next year's class. And if you can get a pick from a team that's in the top 10 right now, that's going to be drafting a rookie quarterback this year. And you can also get a bunch of day two picks this season. That seems like that might be pretty ideal. Cause what if that team has a rough year with a rookie quarterback and they have a top three or top five pick next season. Now maybe you can put yourself in position to draft Caleb Williams or one of those top quarterbacks in the 2024 class. So Again, endless options for John Schneider and this front office with that number five pick. And I feel like re-signing Geno Smith just opens the door further because nobody really knows what John Schneider's going to do. And he loves that because it gives him flexibility, gives him leverage, and maybe he can auction off that pick for even more draft capital than he would have without re-signing Geno Smith when it's pretty obvious that they're going to be going with a quarterback at that point. And then a last question here coming from Vincent tweets, Corbin, what is the most challenging part of trying to cover a team from another state? How do you do it? Well, the first thing I make sure that I have a reliable setup for flight miles and rental cars, because I'm going to be doing that a lot coming from Colorado and, and I'm not going to delve into all the specifics, why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, but for example, Geno Smith is going to be doing a press conference at the VMAC today. I'm not going to be flying in just for that press conference that was scheduled on a whim. It's not going to happen. I, I can't physically and financially do it. But my plan is to be able to be at most of training camp. I'm going to be at all the games. I'm going to be at a good handful of the press conferences next year. You know, it, it takes a lot of patience. Uh, it takes uh, a lot of resolve with all that flying, all that traveling. And it also takes an amazing wife that is willing to let you leave the house to do that kind of stuff as well, which my wife has completely signed off on that because she knows I love my job. And obviously, 
we're here in large part because of things going on in her life. So you have compromises on both sides. So it's, it's tricky, but at the same time, it's kind of fun because you're flying all over the place. You get to see a lot of different things and it's a unique experience. And uh, so far I haven't had any issues. Got to the combine, was able to go to all the games at the end of the season after I came here. So it's been, a, it's been an interesting experience. And I expect that that's going to be the case going into next year. And however long that we end up doing this before we eventually end up back in Washington. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at free agent guards that may interest the Seahawks heading into the start of the new league year next Wednesday. Don't go away. You're listening to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. I'm glad to be joined on today's show by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether it's your first time checking out the podcast or you're a diehard regular listener, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Damian Parson and Keith Sanchez provide in-depth coverage of the biggest NFL draft prospects with deep dives into the sleepers and hidden gems that can change your favorite NFL franchise. Find Locked On NFL Draft wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, time to continue our free agency preview. Yesterday, Rob and I looked at the linebacker group, and there's a lot of really solid veteran linebackers available. Free agency is expected to be available when free agency starts next Wednesday. The same can be said at the guard position. Now, the Seahawks have a very interesting dynamic here because Gabe Jackson is still on the roster as of this podcast. And that somewhat surprises me. I thought he would be a cap casualty by this point to save more than $6 million. I still think it's going to happen. I thought they'd release him early enough that he would get a chance to speak with some teams ahead of free agency. Maybe that will still happen. But we are under the assumption, both of us, that Gabe Jackson is going to be released at some point. They did re-sign Phil Haynes to a one-year $4 million deal. That's pretty good money for a guy to be a backup. So maybe they view him as the starter at right guard. But it's also possible, Dallas, they might want to bring in some competition to go against him in free agency or maybe just outright a starter and he could be the swing guy at an expensive price point. So we put together our top five lists for guards and free agency. Dallas, I'm going to dish it over to you. And I think you and I are in agreement on who the best free agent prospect is out there on the market. Isaac Samalu from the Eagles. The he, what, what else can we say? The Eagles offensive line, we know how dominant they were, just how much they ran the ball and how much gaps was open for Miles Sanders, Gainwell, and guys like Jalen Hurts running the ball. They had everything for that offensive line. And Isaac Somalu was a big part of that. He was kind of the unsung hero for them. He he has displaying like unnatural strength. It's pretty otherworldly how strong he is. And he can it's pretty easy for him to open up running lanes. But the big improvement that he made from early in his career to this past season was definitely his pass protection. Allowing only one sack out of 1,135 dropbacks, that's wild. That's insane. I, he made such a daunting improvement from year to year. I don't, I don't doubt him improving even more. And he's going to come at an expensive price point being the top guard in, the, in free agency. But, man, it's worth it. Great player. Yeah, he had a 98.3% 
pass protection efficiency rate, according to Pro Football Focus, which was in the top 10 among qualified guards. He had a top 10 pass blocking grade. He had a top 15 run blocking grade. And he was in the top five for zone blocking. And we know that Shane Waldron coming from the Sean McVay system, they love zone running games. So if you can get a guy like Smalo that is really good in the zone aspect, that is the kind of player that would be a great fit. He was excellent in pass protection. My one concern, he has had injury concerns earlier in his career. He missed 21 games in a three-year span. So he has had some injuries, and those are guys you always have a little bit of a red flag. But he did play in every game last year for the Eagles, including in the playoffs, and was a key cog in that dominant offensive line that helped the Eagles get to the big game and almost get the Lombardi Trophy. Unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes had other plans. Where you and I differ on the list, we both love Sumalu. We have him as our number one guy. I think it just based on preference. I actually have Nate Davis from the Tennessee Titans at number two on my list. Now, Spot Track is projecting only $7.4 million per year for him, so that's a more affordable price point. Now, I will say this. The Spot Track estimations a lot of times – Actual contracts don't actually match up to it. I could see Nate Davis getting offered more than that because he is 26 years old. He is a young player. And the other thing I love about him, he has been a top 10 graded guard and run blocking two of the past three years. And I feel like that's really what the Seahawks need in the interior of that offensive line. They need another guy that can really get after it in the run game. Now, if you're looking for a reason to not sign him, he has been dismal in pass protection for most of his NFL career. A couple of years giving up more than 30 pressures. But this last year, just 3.6% of pass protection reps, he gave up a pressure this year. He easily had the best season of his career. And I've seen enough on tape to suggest to me that he can be a really solid pass protector, especially in an offense like the one the Seahawks run. I have been a big fan of him since he played at Charlotte. I thought the Seahawks should have drafted him a few years back. I'd like to see them bring him in. And I think he would be cheaper than Sumalu while also checking off that physical run blocker that this interior offensive line really needs. And behind him, Dalton Reisner is the exact opposite. Reisner has not been a good run blocker in his career you watch the tape that's not a strength in his game I think he can be better than he has been but he is stout in pass protection at least a 97 percent efficiency rating in every one of his four seasons has never given up more than four sacks in a year widely respected across the league for his pass protection ability you keep Geno Smith clean and Reisner's another guy I don't think you would have to break the bank necessarily to be able to sign him compared to Smalu so I would go those three in order there where I'm favoring the more physical guy that's going to get after the run game at number two, but Reisner, you can make a strong argument for as well. Reisner, as you said, he just brings a different style. I feel Nate Davis, he brings that nastiness in the run game and Nate Davis is younger. He has the movement skills. He's actually very athletic, Nate Davis. Yet, I feel the pass protection, the consistency of Reisner is what I would take at number two. The reason being you need Geno protected. Geno's a quarterback that loves to step up in the pocket and really needs that like that pocket. He needs the pocket to be able to be clean so he can step up and make reads. He's not trying to escape and do all the extra stuff. He's just trying to step up and they need a clean pocket, and the, especially with the interior of the offensive line. And Reisner could provide that. Nate Davis, as you talked about, and as we were just talking about, movement skills, anchor, run blocker. We saw, we've been seeing what Derrick Henry's been doing for the last years. And 
he's been a big part of the offensive line being so successful for them. Yet, I think we're number four, I think we're both in agreement also on this, Ben Powers. Ben Powers, the Ravens guard, he's really, honestly, you would expect him to be better run blocking, being on the Ravens, but his strength is actually pass protection. Yeah. And being that that's his strength, that's very interesting. Only allowed one quarterback hit this entire season and zero sacks. So you know what you're going to get from him. But are you going to risk having a mediocre run blocker if you're going to break the bank for a guard? I don't know. I don't think that's – I don't know if you're willing to do that. And I don't know if he really fits what Andy Dickerson's going to be looking for on the offensive line now. I could see them shifting away from these 330-plus pound guards. And Powers is 338 pounds. He is aptly named Ben Powers. And he's been outstanding in pass pro. The run blocking, if I feel like from what I've watched, he's better than the pro football focus grades have given out. But he is at his best as a gap blocker, which isn't surprising with a player of his size, his physicality. He wants to get downhill and maul people. And I don't know necessarily if that's Seattle's strategy now, running the football. I think they're going to be looking for more nimble players. So that's why I have him at number four. I do think his pass protection skills would make him worth an investment for the Seahawks. And where you and I differ, we have different guys at number five. I'm going with a player that's versatile that has started a ton of games in the NFL as a center and a guard. So I'm looking at this as a potential starting center too, but he's played most recently guard for the Detroit Lions. And that is Evan Brown. Another reason I think the Seahawks would love it. He's a former undrafted free agent out of SMU. And we know how the Seahawks feel about undrafted guys that make it in the NFL and grind it out and become starters. This guy gave up just one sack and eight pressures, starting a bunch of games at center for the Lions in 2021. He wasn't quite as good in pass pro last year for the Lions, but he was excellent in run blocking. They finished 11th in yards and third in rushing touchdowns. A big reason was because of Evan Brown in the middle of that offensive line. He's 320 pounds, but he's nimble. As I mentioned, I think that's going to be big for the Seahawks. And that versatility, being able to start center and guard as well. Seattle could look at him for either one of those positions. He might be more pricey just because of that versatility. There's a price tag to that, but he's only 26 to another really young player that has been an ascending talent for the Detroit Lions. I expect Detroit's going to try to find a way to get a deal struck before March 15th. But if he's on the free agent market and I'm John Schneider, He's one of the guys that I'm going to be calling up agency. Hey, what's the price point to get a deal done? Because I love the versatility, and he's been really solid at two positions the last couple of years for Detroit. He he has been, and that versatility is going to be coveted by the Seahawks. You want that, especially with how much needs we have on the interior offensive line, the guard, you got center, and you never know with injury. Having a versatile player, you can you can plug him on each spot. That's so valuable to have that along the offensive line. And the Seahawks honestly have that in-depth pieces in the backup. And the this where we differ, honestly, is for the fifth pick, for me, I have kind of a diamond in the rough. He's probably going to sound a little crazy. But a guy like Will Hernandez was in the division this past year, played for the Arizona Cardinals, and he finally was built up to that second-round status that he was picked at. He played great. Seventh in pass block win rate among among guards, excuse me, and 19th in run block win rate. As you said, they are moving away from that mauler type, that bigger type. But Will Hernandez, I think, is one of those players at that size who actually has decent movement skills. Him and Gabe Lewis on, excuse me, 
Damian Lewis. I did it again. Damian Lewis. Dame, him and Damian Lewis on each guard. Seahawks fans <laughs> want to see this hybrid player now really bad. Gabe I Lewis. I want to see him. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying it. But Damian Lewis, excuse me. Them on each side as guards on the interior often on the interior of the offensive line should be excellent and mauling in the run game and should open up great gaps for Kenneth Walker. Yeah, Hernandez is a player that was in my honorable mention list. I think I had him seventh on my list as far as potential players. My concern is he's kind of been like Nate Davis and then most of his career, his pass protection numbers have been decent, but his run blocking, it's the opposite of Nate Davis. But in the same sense, he's not been consistent as a run blocker. And that showed up in New York. He's had some issues on and off in pass protection too. So I just would worry if that's a one-year flyer, I do think he's going to be much cheaper than the other options that we talked about here. And Seattle, again, doesn't have a lot of financial flexibility. So maybe that is somebody that you can sign and like, look, you're competing against Phil Haynes and whoever the better player is, you're going to start for us in week one. That would go against them picking somebody in the draft most likely. They could pick somebody in the later rounds to develop because Damian Lewis is a free agent after this year too. But They've got a lot of options. There's some intriguing players. There's some versatile players in this group. I don't expect they're going to be spending a lot of money at guard, but John Schneider has a tendency to throw curveballs at people. So if Gabe Jackson does get cut as we expect, maybe that is a move they will make in free agency. One of the players we mentioned here ends up getting a contract to join the Seahawks in 2023. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C. Cooper. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week video form on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, Nick Lee and I are going to be projecting where some of Seattle's unrestricted free agents are going to end up playing in 2023. Will they back, be back with the Seahawks or will they join a new team? We hope you'll be joining us for the episode. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.